Good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. Uh, man, we're, we're excited about what God is doing here. What a, what a great word um, uh, that we've already just experienced this morning. Um, if you've got a Bible, let's go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 24. We're in a series uh, that we are calling, How Is It Going to End? How's it going to end? And so we, we've been studying the doctrine of the end times. And so uh, we're, we looked last week at several of the signs that Jesus says are, are going to begin to happen uh, before he actually returns. And so uh, today we're going to continue that discussion by talking about really a survey of the great tribulation. And so uh, if you, um, we're, we're going to show some images and those kinds of things. If you don't have our app, you can download the app and you'll be able to have all these pictures and the, the kinds of things that we're going to show today. Uh, but I think when it comes to the tribulation, uh, a lot of people are, are scared. A lot of people are uh, just don't know. And I think a lot of people are confused as to whether or not we're going to be here. And so remember last week we talked about how the, a lot of the, uh, the things that we talk about when it comes to eschatology is, is we believe that Jesus is coming again, right? And we all agree on that. And then the timing of these events uh, are uh, what we say we're not quite sure we can have a difference of opinion. And so remember that as I share some of the things that I believe today, give me some grace. If you're the Bible Ninja, Navy SEAL Bible guy, don't, don't chew me up and spit me out today. Um, I'm going to share what, what I believe to be uh, true. Uh, we did a survey at the beginning of this series and uh, a lot of people asked, what's the timeline of this? Uh, give, give, give me kind of a, a lay of the land of what this is going to look like. So I'm going to give you a timeline today. Um, and, and there are really three different views that you might take on this. And, and then the other thing that really people were asking or that we asked is, uh, you guys, is, is are we going to be here during the tribulation? About half of you said yes, and about half of you said no. And so uh, even, even amongst our church, we, we have a difference of opinion here. So we don't know the dates, uh, but uh, the order of events, we kind of know. And so let's talk about uh, one view here. The first view is what's called millennialism, right? And so trying not to turn this into a, a seminary class today, but essentially the millennium is what we're going to talk about next week. It's the 1,000 year reign that is on earth. And here's how this view uh, believes that the church age is now. So we are in the church age. This is essentially um, where we are at. Jesus comes back uh, right here represents when he returns the judgment seat of Christ. We are all judged. And then after that is the eternal state. So this is the, the, the simplest kind of just lay it out there and very clean and very easy. I wish I believed this. I don't, but it's very kind of uh, simple uh, to, to kind of see how it uh, lays out. So I don't believe this one. The second one is what maybe half of you believe, and this would be a premillennial, pre-tribulation view. And so this would say we are in the church age now, but then Jesus will return and it will be a secret return. Second Thessalonians uh, in the twinkling of an eye, the, uh, uh, Jesus uh, takes or raptures his church, right? So we say it's a secret um, um, uh, re revealing and, and, and taking of the church because Jesus isn't appearing to the world. Um, this is a secret snatching away, essentially. 
And so Christians just essentially disappear. They go to heaven for seven years. And then that that seven-year period is known as the tribulation. And then after that seven-year period, the return of Christ with his church comes at the um, Battle of Armageddon, ending that um, great war in time on earth that leads to the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign where Jesus is walking on earth and, and he is king and he sits on his throne. And then after the millennial reign, uh, then the final judgment takes place. And then after the final judgment is the eternal state, which is uh, what we would call heaven for all eternity. Um, okay, so this would be a premillennial pre-trib. He comes before the millennium and then he comes before the tribulation. The T here stands for tribulation. Now, what I lean towards is a premillennial post-tribulation view. And so we are in the church age now. The tribulation then begins. And then after this tribulation takes place, then Christ returns. When it talks about the trumpet sounding, um, that's one of the reasons why I, I believe this is uh, where the scripture is, is, is teaching us. Uh, because this trumpet is one trumpet. It's not a trumpet to snatch us away and take us away for seven years and then bring us back, you know, at the end of that seven years. There's one trumpet. There's one second coming. There's not a secret pot in the scripture. And so I don't think that pre-tribulation view is, has really any, uh, a lot of, if, if, if at all, biblical support. I'm going to talk a little bit more about why next, next week as we talk about glorified bodies, what that what that coming uh, does for us and, and then into the millennium. And so church age, tribulation happens, Jesus returns. So there is a, and, and, and we'll get into this next week as well. There is a, um, uh, we, we meet him in the clouds to return to earth for the, for, for the final battle and defeat Satan and his armies. That leads into the millennial reign, into the judgment, and then after the judgment is our eternal state. So this kind of gives you um, a visual of, of, of what a timeline uh, can look like. And, and again, we're going we're gonna to talk about this. We talked about this and some signs last week. We're talking about this today. Uh, really, really next week, kind of going into the millennium. And then we're going to talk about um, our future eternal home, the final judgment and all of those things. And so that, that's kind of a timeline and, and I, I don't have time to dive into all the specifics today, uh, but in the coming uh, days I'll be able to. But today I really want us to, to, to think about the tribulation. Uh, I want us to have a survey of what this is going to look like and, and uh, we'll begin to talk about this today and, 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 and why it is actually important. So in Matthew chapter 24, uh, we, we're, we'll pick up where we left off last week. Remember, Jesus is answering the question, what are the signs of the end? And when are you going to return? And he's answering the disciples and he answers in this way in verse 15. He says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, remember Daniel is a book of prophecy, very, very filled with imagery and, and sometimes difficult um, to interpret but uh, very helpful when we talk about eschatology, obviously. Standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter 
or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. So remember last week we talked about how every generation in the world has experienced some persecution, has experienced some natural disasters. Those are all part of the signs. But this one's unique. Uh, this one's unique because they all intensify and it's not, uh, the, the, the earth and the world has not experienced this level, he says. And then in verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So for the sake of the elect, for, uh, the elect are believers in Jesus. And so because of believers in Jesus who are going through the persecution, he cuts it short. So one, one small uh, reason why I think we will be here for the tribulation, verse 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. This is the, the, the signs of the Messiah, he says, or people who claim to be the Messiah, he says, that will be coming See, I've told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Anybody else claiming to be the Messiah, we're not going to believe it. There will not be another Messiah. There will not be another son of God. Like we, Jesus is the one and only. Look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Verse 27, for as, listen, listen, for as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That means we're going to see it. Somehow, we're all going to see it. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather immediately after the tribulation, okay? So again, believers will be here and immediately after this tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the heavens. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. So meteorites falling, um, uh, even earthquakes happening. This will appear in heaven, the sign, then will appear in heaven, the sign of the Son of Man. So after these, all these astrological, uh, huge, disastrous events, then he will appear. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. So it will be a visible, somehow we will be able to see and experience this and, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because that will be at the battle of Armageddon when he returns and, 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 and they will see him and they will mourn because they will know that they are defeated. You'll see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. We've seen some of the signs. We've talked about some of the signs. If you were raised in a, specifically a Baptist church like me uh, in the 80s, this event was, was probably a scary uh, type of event. And so there were a lot of scary movies that came out from cheesy Christian producers. And uh, there were a lot of book series like the Left Behind series that had come out that that portrayed a pre-tribulation kind of um, uh, uh, rapture. And so I would come home from like, you know, playing in the neighborhood <clears throat> and I would get home and like mom wouldn't be there and dad wouldn't be there. And I'm telling you, some of you are laughing because you know what I'm about to say. <laughs> 
I was like, I done missed the rapture, man. <laughs> I missed it. I wasn't ready. You know, and there'd be like a moment of panic as a kid, you know, and then, you know, mom would come out of, she'd walk in or something back. Like, I made it, right? So I was ready to repent and give my life to Jesus for the one millionth time in that second. Um, and so I, I think we need some clarity. Let me, let me clear this up. You haven't missed it. And there's no way anyone on planet Earth will be able to miss the second coming of Christ. He says, as lightning comes from the east and shines in the west, right? He says he will be coming on the clouds of heaven in great glory. There, there's no way anyone in the world will miss his appearing. We will know that it is here. So verse 44 says we've got to be ready. So as we unpack today this tribulation period, then we want to prepare ourselves. And so he says in verse 21, this abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. And so we're unsure what that really is going to look like. Okay. But in the moment, I believe we will know. And so let's start with this. What is the tribulation? A lot of people ask that in our, our uh, survey that we put out. What is it? Well, it's simply a, a future intense period of great tribulation in the world that's gonna that, that, that is, is gonna occur before the return of Christ. And so verse 29 says immediately after the tribulation, we will see the second coming of Christ. So I take that to mean we will be here during the tribulation as believers. And all the signs that we looked at last week and the signs that we just read are those things that are to come and including this abomination of desolation that sets forth the final phases of this tribulation. So when does it happen? Well, some people believe it's happening right now. And you don't need to think of them as weird or bad or you know, unbiblical. They just have a different view. It's okay when it comes to eschatology to believe the timelines are different, okay? Um, and so let's keep that in mind. Some people think it's happening now. Some people believe the tribulation is gonna be a literal seven years, right? And so there's gonna be seven years based on Daniel 7, uh, chapter 9 and, and, and chapter 12. However, we're actually unsure. We're really unsure. I mean, that's a theory essentially, but we're unsure. It could be shorter or it, it actually could be longer. We're, we're not quite sure. During this time though, the world is going to experience um, catastrophic death. Uh, it's going to experience economic devastation like it's never uh, seen before. And so today I want to give you seven key features quickly, a lot of information today, right? So, so we're processing this together and in your small groups, let me give you seven key features of the tribulation that we need to be aware of. And the first one is the Antichrist and the false prophet sidekick, right? And so in your Bibles, you can flip over to Revelation chapter 13 or just uh, see this on the screen. He says, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads and with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast and they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast and they worshiped this beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? 
And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. You can do the math there. So there's a lot of some, some, some math happening in Revelation that everybody's always trying to, to, to figure out. Um, but this Antichrist and false uh, prophet, so the false prophet is the second beast. And the first beast is, is a lot of imagery here is, is thought to mean the Antichrist. For 42 months or three and a half years, he will be able to unleash this persecution and this this uh, deception and lie of, 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 of the fact that he experienced some type of mortal wound and he resurrected himself or came back to life in some way. And uh, the Bible says that he's going to have some uh, way of, of performing miracles. It's going to appear that he is performing miracles. Uh, the false prophet's going to be some type of religious leader that tells everybody to, to worship or believe in or trust in this false uh, Antichrist, and so uh, that's essentially how this deception will begin to take place. The the dragon in uh, the book of Revelation represents Satan. So Satan gives them power. Some people believe they're going to be possessed, uh, uh, but he will give them some type of, of of power to be able to do these things and turn the attention of mankind upon them. Look to them for hope. Look to them for salvation. Look to them uh, to for protection and and, and hope. And so. Some people believe that the Antichrist, though, isn't a real person. Um, and they're not weird. They're actually some really good friends of mine. In First and Second John, it talks about the spirit of the Antichrist. And so it's thought that this, this idea of an Antichrist could just be a spirit uh, that is, is going to persecute Christians and very anti-God, um, very anti-Jesus, anti-Christianity. And so that persecution is set forth with this spirit. I, I believe that it's most likely going to be a, a real person, but um, some people believe differently. In Daniel 9, verse 27, it talks about uh, some kind of uh, what we think is a, a peace treaty. And so a lot of people believe he's going to be some type of religious um, leader, uh, politician, uh, world leader on some stage. And, and he's going to sign some kind of peace treaty with several nations, including Israel. And then he's going to break that agreement and he's going to desolate the temple in some way, claiming to be a God that he rose from the dead and that people should worship him. And so uh, Revelation 13, three and four talked about that mortal wound. And so I know this kind of sounds crazy, but it could be as simple as he gets hurt. He flatlines on the doctor's table and the doctors resuscitate him. And, and in a sense, he comes back to life, right? And then he claims that um, you know, he was resurrected or whatever, something like that, that would be deceiving to the world. But at the end of the day, we're not sure. Um, the Antichrist and, and really his sidekick, the false prophet, will institute what you have heard as the mark of the beast. In Revelation 13, 16 and 18, it says, also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. So this is the mark of the beast. And so the false prophet will, will somehow, as his sidekick, point everybody to worship him and the scripture says that he will be the one that really 
forces or enforces this mark of some kind um, to be able to control um, people. And so um, Revelation 16.2 actually calls it the mark of the beast. And uh, here in this scripture, it says it's going to be on our right hand or on our forehead. So a lot of people believe it's going to be a, a visible mark that, that is seen. And without this mark, you're not going to be able to buy or sell anything. So it, it's basically going to be required to be a citizen uh, that participates in, in, in the economy. So he says it's going to require wisdom to, to calculate the number of its name. Right? And so this is what gets a lot of conspiracy theorists rolling, right? The, the number 666 has been linked to John F. Kennedy, Ronald Reagan, and even Barack Obama. And so uh, we don't, I don't believe it, but by using you know, Hebrew languages and words and numbers and, and, and calculating. And so we want to be very cautious about doing that um, at this point in history. The Greek word for mark is karagma. Uh, which at that time would have brought to mind in, 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 in people in this century, they would have thought of the image that is on their coin. And so just like, you know, we see the profile of one of our presidents on one of our coins, uh, this would be the idea of the mark. And so a lot of people believe that this mark might be a, a, a profile image of, of the Antichrist and, and, and maybe a tattoo or maybe some type of, of a stamp type mark that would be placed physically on on our bodies and, and um, calculating that number 666, again, is very, very, you know, conspiracy-esque. And so he says we need to have wisdom and we don't need to jump on these secret websites and, you know, always looking for this secret information and trying to decode things, you know, as they, you know, as people love to do. That's, I think that's unwise. I think we focus on what Christ calls us to focus on today and, and we have wisdom as things unfold and as signs begin to occur. So the mark does allow people to go into stores. It's a form of payments, basically this economic passport. Anyone that takes the mark uh, will be able to, 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 you know, engage in the economy. And in Revelation 14, 9, it says that anybody that takes the mark will experience the wrath of God. So essentially, those who take the mark uh, will be sealing their destiny, eternal suffering, right? So some people believe the mark, though, is actually figurative. It's not an actual, uh, you know, mark at all, uh, but it's a figurative type of way that that in scripture, uh, people believe are, are, are spiritually marked. And so those who don't have faith in Jesus are marked by unbelief. Those who do have faith in Jesus, you and I, we are marked by faith and we're, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So essentially, um, the, the, wherever we land, whatever mark we have, mark of faith or mark of non-faith, is evidenced in our fruit. And so the visible sign would and could be evidence of fruit. Again, I have very dear friends that wholeheartedly believe this. And so uh, at the end of the day, we're not sure. Uh, I lean toward the fact that I do think it would be some type of a visible thing and, and uh, something that's not like a, some people think a, a computer chip that's hidden in, uh, in your hand. Um, it would be visible. Um, some people believe it was the vaccine. It's not a vaccine. It's not a, it's not a cell phone. <laughs> uh, it's not a credit card. Those are, those are, those are not, you know, the mark. And so we just have to uh, be wise. I, I think uh, the, the other side of this um, is that a lot of people are fearful of this. And they think, well, man, I don't want to take this thing. And 
what if I do it by accident and I, like, I just think it's an easy way to pay for food, man? And then, and then I go home and like, oh man, I got the mark. Now what do I got to do, you know? So it's not going to be like that at all, all right? To take the mark of the beast is going to be you or is going to be people without faith who deliberately reject Jesus and intentionally receive the Antichrist and, and, and trust in him. So this, this is not going to be something that you would be tricked into. It would not be, it's not something that's mandated or forced upon the world. It's actually voluntary, according to scripture. And so people voluntarily submit to the Antichrist. And by doing that, they, they would be intentionally rejecting Jesus. And this would be worldwide known. It's not going to be like some secret code or secret knowledge, like, to take the mark is to reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so, so that's how we would know, okay, we're not going to get tricked into this. This is not something that we have to worry about. Um, it's not going to be accidentally taken. Worldwide, it will be known to receive this Antichrist and worship him and, 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 and trust in him would be to take his mark. And that would be you rejecting Jesus, literally saying, I reject Jesus. And of course, as believers, we cannot, would not do that. So the, so the mark is voluntary. Um, universally, Christians will know that if we take this, then we are saying no to Jesus, right? So, so that should give us a little bit of uh, a sense of hope here. All right, let's flip over to Revelation chapter 7. There's another group that is mentioned as a key feature in the tribulation that's important. In verse 2 of Revelation 7, it says, then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who'd been given power to harm earth and sea saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Okay, so again, this idea of sealing. So, the, so this symbolically, a lot of people would see that and say, okay, this is how God is marking, right? Uh, his people. He's sealing them with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So is the, is the mark visible or is it a spiritual sign? Yeah, we can talk about it. Verse four, and I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then he goes into uh, all these different tribes. And, and so the key feature number three is, is this 144,000. Who are they? What are they? Uh, essentially, there are people that put their faith in Jesus during this time. Um, some people take that to literally mean 144,000 people. No less than 144,001 or, or, or 139,000, whatever. It, it's exact, right? Um, and so people debate that. In Revelation 7 verse 9, just a couple verses later, he talks about this group as being a multitude of every tribe, every nation. And so a lot of people believe that this number isn't a literal number, it's a figurative number to represent a lot of people, a great multitude of people. Okay, so this could uh, essentially be a lot of people. Verse three, it says, don't harm the earth until we have sealed the servants of our God. And so God seals his people, he sets them apart, he seals us with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so during this time, there will be people who come to faith and, and he gives us the grace to be faithful to him. He gives us the grace to be protected during this persecution. And so what we, what we want to realize is this verse, and there are some others too, that teach us that 
while God's wrath is being poured out on the ungodly and the world, he is still protecting uh, the Christians that are alive during this period. And so he is, he is protecting them in the sense of, if you remember the story of, of the Israelites and the Egyptians, God sends the plagues uh, on Egypt and they and the Egyptians are the ones that were experiencing the, the disease and, and, and all of these things. The, the Israelites were there, right? They were, they were involved in all of that, but God was protecting them in a sense from, from those plagues, right? And so in a similar way, we will be on earth, we'll be experiencing the earthquakes, we'll be experiencing the persecution. There will be things that are happening that, that is a part of the, the world and, 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 and yes, that will be part of it, but at the same time, God will be protecting us and we won't be experiencing it like those who are ungodly. That should give us uh, hope. Some believe this 144,000 are actually uh, Jewish people that come to faith in Christ. Romans 11 verse 25, Paul talks about this hardening of, uh, of the hearts of Israelites until the fullness of Gentiles come. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And so some people say what Paul is talking about is this 144,000 uh, that are coming to faith in Jesus, being Jews that put faith in Jesus. A lot of people say, well, he's really just talking about true Israelites. And the true Israelites are anybody that, that would put their faith in Jesus. And, and, and yes, that would include ethnic Israelites as well. And so I think it's very possible that ethnic Jews will in large numbers come to faith during the tribulation, but I don't think they will be the only ones. I think that this is a great multitude of every tribe, every nation coming to faith, not a literal number, but a figurative uh, concept and idea that is saying that during this time, people are going to finally see, okay, these signs are the signs that Jesus was talking about. I believe him. They will come to faith in him. We as Christians will be here sharing the gospel, ministering in that time under this great persecution. Many people will come to faith. This does raise a question about how do we, how do we deal with Israel? You know, are, are, are they this, you know, are, are they the true people of God? And then you and I as the church are kind of like the second tier people of God. Are they like the, the gold level, you know, people of God? And you and I are kind of like the silver level, you know, people of God. And, and, and I, I think, you know the answer to this, but sometimes how we are raised and the politics that you have impact your biblical view of Scripture. And so Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are the people of God. Amen? You believe that, right? There is only one family of God. There are not two families of God. There is one family of God. Many Jewish people might come to faith, and I believe they will uh, come to faith in Jesus. And when they do, they will be added into the one family of God. They are not Christians that are gold level. They would not make us the Christians that are silver level, right? There's one family. So the question then, you know, is like, well, should America like be protecting Israel and giving millions and billions of dollars to them? And I'm not getting into the politics, but I would say this, we should love Israel just like we are called to love every nation in the world. But some of you have been raised to think differently. And if you are over the age of 50, you think that it's time to take me out back and like beat me up right now. <laughs> like, no, we gotta protect them, right? We should love them like we love everybody, right? 
Um, but I think what has happened in the church is that there is this division and there, it, it's called a dispensational view of Israel, which, which says, oh, they're, they're special and we're like kind of special, but they're like the real ones, right? And so we got we to gotta get on their board. It's like, no, Jesus fulfilled the old covenant, amen? He fulfilled the Old Testament law. There is one family of God. There is one way to heaven that is faith in Jesus. To reject Jesus is to reject God, right? So I don't care what religion people come from in their past when they put their faith in Jesus, they are part of the one family of God now, right? What is important about Israel is that a lot of the signs of the end of the age are, are going to occur in and around Jerusalem. So that's what's important. Like we watch and look at, at the area Valley of uh, Megiddo, uh, you know, Armageddon is, is, is near Jerusalem. Jesus is returning, Mount of Olives, he says. So there is, is, is part of the return is important there. So several signs happening in um, that area. So that's what's important. Next, the two witnesses. So quickly, there are going to be two rock star Christians that just knock out of the park during this time. And they're going to be speaking against the Antichrist and they're going to be leading people to Christ and they're going to be doing things that so, through prayer, they're, they're going to bring drought to areas and people are going to recognize that. And they're just going to be rock star uh, believers. And, and uh, uh, the, the, the reward for being a rock star believer at this time is that the Antichrist is actually going to kill them in front of uh, everybody and then leave their dead bodies for three and a half days in the city streets for everybody to laugh at and look at. But then on after those three days, God's going to resurrect those two witnesses and then he's going to bring them to heaven. <laughs> and everybody's going to be like, oh, that's going to happen. So that's going to be cool. Um, next, we have the seven seals and seven trumpets. So quickly, I'll walk through this. Read Revelation chapter 11 to talk about the two witnesses. And then Revelation chapter 6 talks about the seven seals, seven trumpets really quickly. These are, th this would be the first three and a half, if you believe it's a seven year period, then the first three and a half years would be these signs. And these are the signs that Jesus talked about last week being fulfilled um, through these uh, seals. And so the white horse uh, the, the first seals are the four horsemen of the apocalypse that you probably heard about. The white horse is ridden by the Antichrist because he's coming to deceive. And it says that he's wearing a crown that was given to him. He doesn't deserve it. So this is the sign of, of claiming to be the Messiah. The red horse is next. He takes peace away from the earth, which leads to world violence. That was a sign of nation rising against nation. The black horse then comes and brings famine to the world. Jesus talked about the natural disasters of bringing famine. The pale horse then comes and, and following him is death and Hades. And this rider represents a terrible devastation, killing a fourth of the people on the world's population. That's almost a billion people right now. And so we're not sure how that would happen. A lot of people think nuclear war. Uh, some people think famine. Some people uh, think disease. We're not sure, but this would be part of the fulfillment of the, of the signs that Jesus gives to us. Then the fifth seal in verses 9 through 11, um, those who have been killed, martyred for their faith, are seen under the altar of God. This was the sign of persecution. The next seal, uh, seal six is broken and a great earthquake comes upon the earth and the sun and the moon are eclipsed. Meteorites fall from the sky, right? This is Hollywood-esque type imagery happening on the earth. 
Uh, it, so great of, a, of, of an earthquake that, that uh, islands would, would, be, uh, would, would crumble and then the seas would overtake them. Mountains would be moved. These are the astrological signs that Jesus speaks of. The seventh seal is broken and a dramatic pause in heaven takes place. And so this, this is sometimes believed as the end of the first three and a half period. This dramatic pause uh, then, then leads to the, the seven, or yeah, the, the next part in Revelation chapter eight, the trumpets that God talks about. This would be that last three and a half where people believe is the, is the great tribulation. So first three and a half, maybe signs and devastation, yes. Last three and a half, this is where the abomination of desolation would take place and then even greater uh, tribulation takes place. So trumpet one is a massive storm. And somehow this massive storm overtakes a third of the earth and a third of the crops in the forest and a third of the food supply is destroyed. And so again, we're thinking in terms of our day and we think about that, we can kind of begin to see how easily the world will just kind of be like, oh, well, this is, this is what we said was gonna happen because of global warming. Um, and, and, and so these are the, these are the, this is the result of the car emissions and all of these kinds of things. And I don't care where you land on, on, on that topic. I know Christians who, who are adamant about it we're called to be good stewards of, of, of the earth, right? Take care of it. And I know people that, that don't care at all about it and they love Jesus as well. And so you'll fall somewhere in there, a lot of politics in that. But personally, I'm not worried about global warming because this is how it's gonna end. This is what the Bible says, it's, it's gonna end this way. And so it's not because of my truck. Uh, trumpet seven, <clears throat> a great... Um, mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. And so probably a volcano erupts that's close to an ocean. As it erupts, a third of the sea turns blood red and a third of the sea animals die and a third of the ships are destroyed. Trumpet three is also part of what's called the three woes. A huge meteor, meteor falls on the earth and a third of the earth then is impacted by this. It falls into uh, the water supply and poisons the water and drinking that water then kills people. It's called wormwood because wormwood is a bitter uh, plant. And so that is the name given uh, to it in Revelation 8. The, the fourth trumpet is another astrological eclipse of some kind. It's difficult to interpret, but a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars are eclipsed in, uh, eclipsed in some uh, capacity. Trumpet number five is Revelation 9. This is the judgment that some type of locust is, is, is unleashed and, and just terrorizes the world. And so people, it says people want to die, but they can't die. Um, remember, Jesus protects us through this, whatever, whatever that insect would be. And then uh, trumpet number six is verses 12 through 21 of chapter 9. And John says that 200 million or a third who are still alive will die by some type of plague at that point. Trumpet number seven, the third woe, ushers in the final phase of the tribulation period, which is characterized by the seven bowls of judgment. So this is God pouring and unleashing his wrath against sin and upon the ungodly in the world. Bowl number one is the judgment of open sores that afflict people. Bowl number two is the judgment poured out on the sea and it'll be infect uh, the the sea with some type of red algae. And so it looks blood red and it kills sea life. Bowl three is poured out on the freshwater. So the same infection happens in freshwater, turning it red and killing 
uh, animals and, and, and making it impossible to drink. Beaufort has to do with the sun because there's some type of severe heat uh, and, 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 and massive um, scorching of the earth. Sun is so hot. And then, and, and, and then bowl number five is darkness falls upon the kingdom of the Antichrist so that the, so the sun produces tremendous heat and then darkness falls. And then finally, bowl number six is actually when the Euphrates River dries up. And, and, and that's important. When it dries up, then that allows the next and final uh, key feature I want to talk about today, which, which we just talked about that. And then it leads to the Battle of Armageddon. So when the Euphrates River dries up, then all these armies are able to go across it and assemble in the Valley of Megiddo in chapter 16, verse 16. He says in verses 17 to 21 that a great earthquake happened. So this would be the final bowl, bowl number seven. This one is so large that it splits Jerusalem into three parts. It says that a hundred pound hail falls from the sky and no mountain remains, no island remains after this massive earthquake, ushering in this, this final battle then after that takes place. And, and uh, all the armies are then gathering in this valley. And in that moment, they unify against Christ in some way. Because in that moment, 2 Thessalonians says, the trumpet will sound in the twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive will meet him in the air. And we will meet him and then come with him for this final battle together that destroys uh, the armies of the ungodly and Satan himself. And as the forces of evil rally against him, every man and woman on earth who, who stand in opposition of Jesus will be destroyed. There will be no bystanders at all. We will all be involved in this at some point. Scripture tells us the battle will end in an instant and Jesus wins. Here's what Revelation 19 says. He says, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's how it ends. Amen? So as we talk about all of this devastation and terrible things that are happening, we read in the midst of this trial that Jesus preserves his people. Jesus protects his people. We learn that Jesus hates sin. And this is why this wrath of God is coming upon the world and, and coming upon the ungodly. We learn that Jesus preserves us and we learn that Jesus actually wins. And so to many people, this, they think this victory is only about the future, right? It's only future stuff. No, 
This victory that we read here and that we read for the next two weeks that we experience is in us today. So no matter what trial or, or what circumstance you're going through, we know that our circumstances do not tell us that God doesn't love us or God isn't preserving us or God doesn't care about us. Even in the midst of a great tribulation, we know that God's love is still available. We know that people will be coming to faith. We know that we'll be protected. And we know that it's only for a season. We, we, we know that it's only for a season that we would even experience that because he will come. And so today, no matter what you are going through, and some of you are going through it, you read about the tribulation, you're like, man, that feels like what I'm going through today. But no matter what it is, no matter if it's a tribulation of cancer, Jesus wins. No matter if it's a tribulation of a relationship that just ended, that is rocking your world, Jesus wins. No matter if it's an addiction in your life, Jesus wins. And so our faith and our trust and our hope is in him. I know when we go through suffering, it doesn't feel like we're winning. I know when we go through a trial, it doesn't feel like we're winning. We read about this story and we read about the devastation and we might think, man, it doesn't feel like Christians will be winning. But even when the moon and the sun darken, and even when earthquakes happen and meteorites are falling and it's hard to buy food and it's hard to exist, we know that we serve a God that loves us. We know that we serve a God that sent his son to a cross to die in our place. We know that it is through his blood. This, this robe that is dipped in blood is because of his death that you and I can, can have our sins forgiven. And that by faith in this death and resurrection, we will be protected, that we will enjoy the second coming and that we will enjoy this eternal state of heaven in paradise, no sin, no pain, right? No hurt. He will wipe every tear away from our eyes. The lion will lay down with the lamb. There will be no fear, there will be no guilt, there will be no shame, there will be no addiction, there'll be no divorce, there'll be no rebellion. Like that is the day that we long for in our heart of hearts. And the only way that we receive that gift is by faith in Jesus today. And when you receive him by faith, the Holy Spirit seals you and protects you during any type of tribulation in your life, including this great tribulation. And that's my heart. Like I wanna, I wanna see how it's gonna end I wanna, I wanna gather and glean what we can. And it always circles back around and points us to the cross. It points us back to today. You've gotta to live for Jesus now. That's how you get ready. You live for him to now. You fulfill your purpose today. You don't wait until you get something figured out. You give your life to him today. You serve him today. Right, we never know what happens tomorrow. So our role is yes, Take that step of faith right here, right now. Give your life to Jesus. And he'll walk with you and he'll encourage you and he'll strengthen you 
no matter what you go through. I want to make sure and I want to invite those who maybe don't know Jesus to actually do that today. So I just kind of want to know who in the room needs Jesus. Would you guys just bow your heads? Is there anybody that would say, I, I, I could use some help with that decision. I'd like to give my life to Jesus. I'm not sure that I've done that. Would anybody just slip up their hand and just say, that's me? Anybody at all? I see you, sir. I see one. Anybody else? Ma'am, I see you. Here's what I want to do then. You can put your hand down. Just simply make this prayer your prayer. This is your conversation with Jesus. Just commit your life to him. This is not a magical prayer. This is just a way to help you solidify your heart today. Just tell him, just say, God, I believe that you love me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins and come into my life right now. Save me. I commit my life to you. Commit my life to serve you from this point forward. In Jesus' name. Now, same people, did you just pray that prayer? Let me see your hands if you prayed that prayer. Lift it up high. I see it. Praise God. I see you, ma'am. Anybody else? Anybody else? I prayed. Amen. Praise God. We saw two folks. Folks, let's give a round of applause for those two. Praise God. I want to encourage you to do. Scan the QR code in front of you. Fill out that form that says you committed your life to Jesus. You made a decision today. Let us know who you are. You can also stop by the care and prayer room. That's a way for you to uh, let us know that you made that decision today. And they'll pray with you and give you some free resources to help you in this journey. Let's pray together. And then we're going to worship this God that we love. Father, we love you. We praise you. God, there is so much that we don't know about the future. But what we do know is that you're going to love us through whatever we face. And Lord, we need our theology of suffering to grow because some of us think that suffering means that you're absent or that you're, you're, you don't care. But we see over and over again, God, that, that through our suffering, Lord, you strengthen us. And so, Lord, as we think about these end times, may you give us faith and hope that no matter what we face, you are with us and that you love us and that we will be strong through it. So, God, we worship you as we think about this homecoming, as we think about meeting you in the air, as we think about living with you for all eternity. God, we worship you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.